0: In chapter 1, we learn about where Ruth came from. A man named Elimelech marries a woman named Naomi in the town of Bethlehem. They have two sons, and they all travel to Moab during a famine. Elimelech dies, and the two sons marry women from Moab. One marries Orpah, the other marries Ruth. Those two men die in Moab, and Naomi decides to return to Bethlehem. Orpah returns to her family, but Ruth travels with Naomi back to Bethlehem. In Bethlehem. Ruth gleans in the fields of a man named Boaz. He is a righteous man who sees her and gives her additional food and water, telling her to only work in his fields so that she can be safe and well taken care of. Ruth goes home, tells Naomi of what happened, and Naomi agrees that she should stay in those fields because Boaz is actually a close relative of theirs. So Ruth gleans in the fields belonging to Boaz until the end of the harvest. Chapter 3 begins with Naomi and Ruth discussing whether Ruth should get married again. Naomi points out that Boaz is single and that there is an opportunity for Ruth to talk to him that very night. Naomi says, he'll be working on the threshing floor tonight. Get dressed nice. Wait until he's done working, has had his meal, and has lied down. Then go, uncover his feet, and lie down at his feet, and he will then tell you what to do. Ruth goes to the threshing floor and does as Naomi told her. She waits for Boaz to finish working and having his meal until he is lying down to sleep. Ruth goes over, uncovers his feet, and lies there. Around midnight, Boaz woke up, startled, and asks, Who are you? Ruth answers, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Ruth was asking Boaz to marry her, And rescue her family Boaz responds may the Lord bless you for your kindness you did not go after the young men rich or poor but instead chose me I will do as you ask for the entire town knows that you are worthy however the law says that there is one more person between you and I that should redeem your family if he does that is a good thing if he isn't willing then I will surely redeem you so she slept there until morning but arose before the morning light so that people did not see where she came from. Before she left, Boaz gave six measures of barley for Ruth and her mother-in-law. When Ruth had returned, Naomi asks how it went. Ruth shows the barley and tells her what had happened, and Naomi says, Be patient, my daughter. We'll see what happens soon enough, for he will not rest until the matter is settled today. Therefore, Ruth and Naomi wait to see if Boaz will marry Ruth and redeem their family.
1: Well, good morning. It's great to have you all here. And if you're not used to being at Rancho Baptist on a Sunday morning, a special welcome. If you're one of our guests this morning, we are delighted to have you here. And if you are one of our guests, this is a time when we open up God's Word, the Bible, to study it. And so there should be one in front of you if you don't have a Bible with you. You can look into the table of contents. And in the Old Testament, there is a book called Ruth, I'll allow the video just you just saw, that kind of gets you up to speed to where we are. And if you will turn there, now all of us, to uh, Ruth and to Chapter 3, that's where we're going to be diving in once again this morning. Several years ago, Ken Davis, when he was in college, was asked to give a lesson in his speech class. He was going to be graded based upon his creativity and his ability to drive a point home in a very uh, memorable way. So he decided that he would teach on the law of the pendulum. Now, you may know what the law of the pendulum is, and that is that a pendulum its swinging will never return to a point higher than from which it was initially released. So as the pendulum swings back and forth, it will, the arc will grow less and less until finally it comes to a point of rest at the bottom. So Ken attached a three-foot string to a child's toy top and then with a thumbtack put it on top of the blackboard pulled the pendulum to one side, and make a mark. He made a mark where it was going to be released from, and then he let it go. And sure enough, the pendulum swung back and forth, and every time it swung back onto that one side, he would make a mark as to how high the the arc was, and went back and forth, back and forth. He kept making marks until after about a minute, the pendulum quit swinging and came to rest. It seemed to prove his point. For there on the blackboard were a series of marks going lower and lower and lower with each arc of the pendulum swinging back and forth. He then asked everybody in the room, do you believe in the law of the pendulum? To which everybody, including the teacher, raised their hand saying, yes, we do. The teacher at that point began to walk forward to the front of the class thinking that the lesson was over when in reality it had just begun. Ken then took down from the center of the room where there were some steel beams going through the rafters a large, crude, but very functional pendulum made up of 250-pound weights and four strings of parachute cord. He then asked the teacher to come and climb up onto a table and sit with a chair with his head next to the concrete wall. He pulled the pendulum up and put it right next to the professor's nose. And, and then again went, up, uh, went over the law of the pendulum, saying, if the law of the pendulum is true, when I release this mass of metal, it will cro- swing across the room, come back, but it will be short of its release point. In other words, sir, your nose will be in no danger. He then looked the instructor in the eye and said, do you believe in the law of the pendulum? There was a long pause. <laughs> Ken said, I noticed that beads of sweat started to come out on the professor's forehead. And then very weakly, he nodded and said, Yes? Ken released the pendulum. With a whoosh, it swung across the room, seemed to pause momentarily, and then began to swing back. Ken says it this way, I never saw a man move so fast in my life. The teacher literally dove off the table. (laughs) Stepping around, the still swinging pendulum Ken asked the class, does our teacher believe in the law of the pendulum? And everybody said, no. What we believe, what we believe will be revealed at critical moments of decision making. Do we have an authentic, robust faith? Or are we settling for a cheap knockoff that easily takes a die? Ruth chapter 3 will answer these questions for us, at least in part. So turn there if you would, and I want us to note that the answers to that question that I just raised is not going to be given to us through a dry theoretical lecture about faith, but rather it's going to teach us through this heart-pounding, palm-sweating drama where ordinary people put their beliefs into action. It's the classroom called life. And what they believed is revealed at critical moments of decision. Now, you need to understand that as the story begins to unfold here in chapter 3, the lights are being turned down. Everything that happens here, or at least I should say, all the main events of this chapter all occur after sunset but before sunrise. So chapter 3 and the mood of chapter 3 is all in darkness. It's in, it's in secrecy. It's in uncertainty. So as the, lay, as the light begins to fade, the action heats up. Watch what hap- happens now as dusk unfolds, starting in verse 1 down to verse 6. Naomi has a plan, a marriage plan, that will provide long-term security for Ruth and then also for her. Now, God, you understand, has met their short-term needs. Naomi has been going out and gleaning in the fields behind the workers of Boaz. We've seen that already. But now, Naomi is considering the future. She's considering considering the long-term needs. How will the family line survive? And so her strategy is to get the ball rolling. But Boaz, as we already noticed, has been identified as one of their kinsmen redeemers. He's already revealed his very godly character in the way he's been treating Ruth. So, Naomi decides to give him a little nudge. Look at the last part of verse 2. Boaz is going to be winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. "'Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak,' and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies, then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. Anybody here ever read the book, I Kissed Dating Goodbye? There is no strategy in that book like this. Who would ever say this is the way to pursue marriage with someone else? (laughs) I mean, to suggest such a risky course of action here reveals that Naomi had a great deal of trust in Ruth, and she also trusted what she knew to be in the heart of Boaz. And by the way, did you notice how Ruth reveals her faith as well? Look at verse 5, verse 6. So she replied to Naomi, All you say, I will do. So Ruth went down to the threshing floor, verse 6, and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her to do. Okay, at this point in the story, the beautiful sunset of that day now vanishes and darkness descends. So let me describe the scene that we're going to be looking at now. A threshing floor is a large, flat, either rocky or hard-packed dirt area where the harvested grains or stalks of wheat into bundles is brought there during the day and the intent is to separate the seed, the kernel, from the chaff, which is everything else. So they would bring these bundles in, they would untie them, they would spread it all out on this floor and then a heavy oxen would be used to walk around on it all day long, breaking up this organic mass. Now, usually a threshing floor is situated on top of a ridge or on top of a a hill in order to take advantage of the evening winds. So during the day, as the stock is getting mashed by the heavy hoofs of of an oxen, then come early evening when it's cooler, a wooden pitchfork is used. It's pushed into this organic mess and then lightly tossed up into the air, and the wind that is blowing will push the light shaft further away, but the heavy seed will drop straight down. So as you continue to do this little flip motion, you start ending up with two piles, the darker seed and the lighter chaff. Now, the other thing you need to understand is that the social tone of harvesting at this time is one of great celebration. I mean, food and drink are being passed out as the reward for all the heavy months of labor is now coming true. And remember, this would be especially a time of celebration, as we learn in chapter one, because there has been a famine for so long in this land. Now, as you can imagine, threshing is back breaking work. So, verse 7 After a good meal, Boaz lays down by the grain pile. Why didn't he go home? Well, one isn't very comfortable there. Um, it's like laying in a beanbag chair. The grain would be around you. But also, he's protecting his grain from theft at night. Now, Ruth is there, but she's hidden. She's watching all of this occurring. And then after he falls asleep, she comes, lifts up his cloak by his feet, and lays down there. Let's pick it up at verse 8. At midnight... The man was startled and turned over and, behold, a woman at his feet. Okay, now stop here. We need to really enter into the story here. When it says behold, it's like, surprise, surprise. It's midnight. Back then, they went to sleep when it got dark. Ruth has been laying at his feet for several hours. Do you think she went to sleep, ladies? Or do you think that she's just waiting and... Every time he moves, every time he snores, every time his feet twitch, she wonders if he's going to wake up and finally find her. It doesn't happen until midnight. But at midnight, he's startled. He he beholds, there's a woman at his feet, and he says, "'Who are you?' And she answered, "'I am Ruth, your servant. Spread the corner of your cloak over your servant, for you are a redeemer.'" Now, when she mentions in your translation, "'Spread the corner of your garment,' Some of your translations say spread your wings. Ruth is using the same word Boaz used in complimenting her back in chapter 2 and verse 12 for how she came to Israel to be under God's wings. So you see what Ruth is trying to say. She's saying, Boaz, you identified not too long ago that I have sought refuge under God's wings. Now, Can I find refuge under your wings as a kinsman redeemer? Will you put yourself in the place of allowing God to care for me through you? That's that's really what she's trying to say here. And to her request to be covered by his wings, Boaz says, count on it. Verse 10. May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first in that you have not gone after young men whether a poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. He is going to act. He is going to do what God asks of a kinsman redeemer to do for the sake of the family. And so what does Ruth do? She lays back down at his feet. And notice what happens now as dawn approaches. Verse 14 to verse 18, starting at verse 14. So she lay at his feet until morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And, and Boaz said, let it not be known that a woman came to the threshing floor. So understand here, nothing immoral, nothing inappropriate ever occurred between the two of them, but to avoid even the appearance of that, Ruth prepares to go home before it gets too light. Now, Boaz wants to send Naomi, her mother-in-law, a message. Look at verse 15. So he says to Ruth, bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it, and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city. Okay, what message is he trying to send? Well, keep reading with me, verse 16. And so Ruth came to her mother-in-law, and she said, how did you fare, my daughter? Which in English, we would just look at someone else and go, well... I mean, do you think Naomi slept at all last night? I don't think so. So how did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, these six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, here's what I want you to notice, you must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. Empty-handed. Empty. Empty. Where have we run into that word before? Oh, that pushes us all the way back into chapter 1 where Naomi came back and publicly declared in all of her grief, I was sent away full, but God brought me back empty. See the message? Boaz is picked up on that public comment that got circulated all throughout the whole community. Boaz is picked up on it and sends the message back to Naomi, count on me, you will no longer be So as the eastern sky now begins to show some light, we could easily assume that the drama was simply between Ruth and Boaz, except for verse 18. So Naomi says to Ruth, wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out. How the matter turns out. That's, again, the same phrase we saw last week back in chapter 2 and verse 3, which is a Hebrew phrase that says, watch God's hand at work behind the scenes. So in a whole chapter here, we're in the darkness of night and it's nearly impossible to see what is really going on. God has been clearly moving to show his loyal love to his people. Let's see how the matter turns out. For the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. So, Naomi and Ruth, as they wait to see what will happen, let's pause and consider just for a few minutes what just happened here in chapter 3. Sure, this whole chapter is a wonderful chapter, not only of romance, but also that the agony, the pain, and the heartache of the last couple of chapters is beginning to dissolve away slowly. But what these verses also vividly portray for us is a very powerful truth. And the truth is this, that robust faith decisions are the trigger points that transform our stories. In other words, there's a fascinating interplay going on here in chapter 3 between the obvious characters that are in the spotlight, Boaz and Ruth, and then Naomi just a little off stage there, but there's also the sovereign working of God who remains totally there in the shadows. And as I mentioned last week, don't most of us want it to be different? I mean, we want to see God come in and provide for our stories in this awesome display of His power. We want to see our needs as we go through our journeys be met with a miracle that so impresses that it will singe the eyebrows of anybody who sees it like we do. That's what we want. And yet, is there any greater miracle is there any greater miracle than when average, normal, common people are willing to exercise faith at critical moments of decision when their heads are up against a concrete wall because they are convinced of what God wants? Well, that is a miracle. God, God absolutely loves to see those expressions of faith. He loves it. And when when those decisions occur in the routines of life for us, they become trigger points that transform our story from being just common to being uncommon, for this is where and how God then takes and blends our smaller stories into his larger story. And so the impact of the story that we see here in Ruth chapter 3 is that we get to see displayed in Ruth and in Boaz and in Naomi authentic, robust faith. For what they model here for us is a quality of faith that we can follow as we engage in our journeys that happen mostly Monday through Saturday. And what I believe and would like to suggest this morning is that the events of chapter 3 give us at least three features of a robust faith. These are not all the features of a robust faith, but they're three very powerful ones that are easy to miss. And by the way, identifying these three features will help us have a faith that's genuine and not a cheap imitation. It'll help us identify faith that's authentic and not a facade. So let me give you these three. First, Notice that this part of the story of of Ruth and Naomi and Boaz reveals that robust or authentic faith is characterized by an initiative that probes. An initiative that probes. Back to Naomi. She exercised faith by taking an initiative that nudged Boaz to action. And a robust faith will, at the right time and the right way, take initiative. And this is important to observe. Because many think that faith means just sitting on your hands. That faith means choosing to be passive or inert. And if that's the case, then a piece of concrete or a rock would be the most faith-filled object in our whole world. On the other hand, there are those that go to the other extreme. That exercising Exercising faith means to go out there and make it happen. That there's an aggressive, kind of pull-yourself-up-by-your-own-bootstraps mentality, or as cowboys would say, go get her done. Those are the two extremes. Did you remember what Jesus told us in Luke chapter 11 and verse 9? Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. He did not say, demand. He did not say manipulate. He did not say kick the door in. But rather asking, seeking, and knocking have got that nudging, probing quality to them. And that's what we see in Naomi here at the start of chapter 3. She does not confront Boaz publicly in the city square by wagging her finger in his face. We don't see that. Neither does she send him a blistering letter reminding him of what Leviticus 25 teaches about what a kinsman redeemer ought to do. Rather, we see him, her giving him kind of this gentle little nudge, an initiative that's pro- that probes to see what God might do. That's why I love how this connects in with Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. A robust faith has this powerful quality of being an initiative that probes. Let me add a second one that comes right out of this story for you to consider. And that is the second characteristic that I see here is that robust faith also has an integrity that protects. Now, it's pretty obvious Naomi's plan of sending Ruth to the threshing floor was full of vulnerability. It was full of humility. What's the risk here that Boaz would take advantage of her? Again, remember, it's night. The threshing floor is an isolated location. Ruth's act could be misunderstood. Boaz could have done whatever he would have liked with her. Or, in the privacy of that setting, he could have humiliated her, and no one would ever have known. He could have looked at her or responded to her and have said, what do you mean by approaching me like this? You're nothing but Moab scum. Picking up leftovers from the field is your position in life. Get away from me and get off my threshing floor. That could have happened. Easily. But what do we see instead? Authentic faith is revealed when no one is watching by an integrity that protects. Now again, remember, integrity is what I do when no one else will ever know. And Boaz was presented with that opportunity to do whatever he would have wanted to do and no one would know. Folks, his decision speaks volumes. So I'm sitting at the corner bakery this past week and realizing that this is an aspect of robust faith. And I think, okay, what about me? What about me? What is revealed through my decisions on those times when no one would ever know? Those times when I am living in a chapter three type setting? When it's dark? When I'm alone? When others can't see. What do I watch then on TV? What do I pull out of the refrigerator? What am I reading? How do I spend my money? Where do I surf on the internet? You can just keep going down the, the list. Several years ago up in Long Beach, a fellow went to a fast food restaurant to pick up a couple of chicken dinners for himself and his date to enjoy After driving to their picnic site, the two of them discovered that there was no chicken in the sacks, but rather there was $800 in cash. The gal behind the counter inadvertently gave them the receipts of the day instead of their chicken dinners. So the man put the money back in the bag, got in his car, drove all the way back to the restaurant. By this time, you can imagine the manager at the restaurant knew what had happened and was frantic about his uh, his money. When the guy returned, he called for the manager and spoke, speaking to him. He said, I want you to know I came here to get a couple of chicken dinners and I wound up with all this money here and he handed all the money back. The manager was thrilled, to say the least. He said, I have never met a man so honest before in my whole life. I want you to stay here. I want to call the the television station. I want them to get a crew down here. We are going to have your picture pasted all over this city. And the guy started to get nervous. He says, no, 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 no. Don't do that. Don't do that. The manager said, why, why not? He said, well, and he whispered closer to him, you see, the woman I'm with is someone else's wife. (laughs) Integrity. What you do when no one else sees. Robust faith. An initiative that probes. Integrity that protects those around us. Let me give you a third quality to chew on. Robust faith is being an instrument that provides. An instrument that provides. Again, it's hard to miss. God took care of Ruth through Boaz. But that would never have happened had Boaz not realized that this is what God wanted him to be doing. Now think about this. Think about this from Boaz's perspective. He is older. He is wealthy. If he had wanted to have gotten married, he he had had plenty of opportunity, and any girl that he he or picked that he would wanted. Ruth is not even a Jew. He is a respected, influential man in the community. What does he need a wife for? I mean, he is a comfortable, settled bachelor, and this is going to totally upset his whole life, totally. And yet, Boaz accepts this radical change in his life and willingly steps up to be the kinsman redeemer to help because he realizes he is in a position both biblically and financially to act as he has received kindness, loyal love, as we've already seen in the story, from God, he passes it on. See, and that kind of quality of robust faith is a breath of fresh air in our consumer, what's-in-it-for-me kind of a society. God wants to use us, every single one of us, to help those who are in need. And that's why God allows us to have an abundance. Hold your finger here, and Ruth, we'll come back. But turn all the way, if you would, into the New Testament to Second Corinthians chapter 9. Here's how the New Testament chimes in on this whole robust faith being an instrument that provides concept. 2 Corinthians 9, starting at verse 10. He, God, who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous. In every way which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing with many thanksgiving to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of, watch this, your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. Wow. Do you see it? As I let God's love be expressed through me in meeting the needs of others, I prove the authenticity of what I confess to be true. That's then the authenticity of my faith. But, my friends, this biblical message runs so counter to the American culture that indoctrinates us into thinking that the more I earn, the more I can spend on myself. And every follower of Jesus Christ has got to come to that point in their life when they say, How much? is enough. If you've never been through financial university with Dave Ramsey, I would highly encourage it. In it, he makes the observation early in his teaching sessions. He says, we buy things we don't need with money we really don't have to impress people we don't like. It's the American way. But is the way I choose to use my money Is it it just simply an act of trying to impress others? Is it a way of trying to validate something inside me? Or does it reveal a robust faith that sees how I am an instrument to provide for those in need? Remember what Winston Churchill once said, we make a living by what we get. We make a life by what we give. And that's why in chapter 3 of Ruth, Robust faith decisions are the trigger points that transform the story of Ruth and Boaz and Naomi, and they'll do the same for us if we'll choose an initiative that probes, an integrity that protects, and to be an instrument that provides. Someone once made a comment, and I haven't been able to find out who said it or wrote it, But they said, I would recommend that you either believe God up to the hilt or do not believe at all. Believe this book, every letter of it, or else reject it. There is no logical place to stand between the two. A faith that kind of paddles around the edge of the water is a poor faith. Be satisfied with nothing less than a faith that dives in deep. Father, you know how much this chapter has challenged me. It's challenged my values. It's challenged me to look at what I say I really believe against my behavior. But Father, I want to thank you for this powerful, powerful story that reveals what, in a few areas, what robust faith looks like. These are quiet heroes of our faith that speak yet even today into our lives. So I pray for myself. I pray for my brothers and sisters here in this room that we would settle for nothing less than the real thing, a robust, authentic faith where beliefs and behavior match. In the areas of initiative, and in the areas of integrity. In the areas in which we literally become an instrument that provides. Father, unless I miss my guess, you've already been speaking to many of us this morning about an area. An area maybe in which we need to confess our hypocrisy or we say it but we don't live it. But, Father, there is something down deep within our hearts that we want to be like these three individuals in chapter 3. That at those crucial moments of decision, we wouldn't take a dive, but we'd stand strong by faith, knowing it pleases you, knowing that you will reward those who seek you like that. Lord, change me. Change all of us that our authentic faith might be seen and glorified by others because they glorify you in what they see. Father, that's our prayer this morning. We ask you, Jesus, wonderful. Amen. Hey, thanks for being with us today. O-R-G. That's www.RanchoBaptistChurch.org Have a great day in the Lord and God bless you as you continue to walk with Him.